We talk about the 10X engineer, right? And everybody's like, oh, that's a miss. Well, this is as close to the 10X engineer as you're going to get. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. I am joined as I often am, by my co-host, Cassidy Williams of Netlify. Hi, Cassidy. Hello. Happy day. Same to you. And we have a great guest today, Angie Jones. Cassidy, are you two friends? Are you familiar with each other? Best of friends. Okay. <laughs> We've spoken at a few events together and stuff. You want to you intro her? We'll invite her on the show and you can set it up. Angie Jones is the Senior Director of Developer Relations at Tools, speaker extraordinaire. She runs Test Automation University or started it, I think, too, and is one of the best speakers I've ever heard. So she's great. Oh, fantastic. Angie, Hyping welcome you to the up. show. Hello. Thank you so much, Cassidy. And hello, Ben. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So an accomplished speaker, I know you said you lost your voice, so <laughs> this is not your usual speaking voice, but we'll take it. it I like the tone. The okay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Thank you. Angie, for people who don't know, tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got into the world of software. Yeah. Some of the stuff you've created and, and what you're focused on at the moment. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I went to college, unsure of what I wanted to do with my life. Back then, in the you know dinosaur days, my <laughs> <laughs> my my father was an accountant, and he saw that like tech was becoming this emerging space. Right, he saw like people needed to know how to use these things called computers, mm. and he suggested that I take at least you know one course so I know how to use the computer. And it'll help me whatever I decide to do with my life. So silly me, I mean, I don't know what any of these descriptions or titles mean. And so I just choose one and it happens to be a C++ course. Oh, no. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not just my first introduction to like programming. It's my first introduction to computers, period, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) But it was so much fun. I loved it so much. I grew up, you know, playing board games and, you know, strategy type games with my family. And this felt very much so like that, like, you know, giving a puzzle and putting it together. So I really enjoyed Enjoyed how it stimulated my brain. So I was doing really well in the course in that professor asked, you know, why is this not your major? Why aren't you a computer science major? And I'm like, I don't know what computer science is. <laughs> and uh, he kind of helped me and, and I ended up switching my major to computer science, graduated with that degree and went on to even get a master's degree in computer science. That's how much I loved it. So that was my introduction to tech, you know, worked as a developer and I really took a passion for test automation. I found that it was something that was often overlooked by a lot of developers. And yet I found it to be something that was really critical to, you know, the overall delivery process. And so that's the area that I started kind of owning on dev teams Mm. and, uh, you know, helping the other developers and, you know, coming up with, 
you know, strategies and design patterns. And, you know, it really exercised my development muscles more than, you know, the feature development did, I found, you know, having to, you know, architect a project and things like that. So I fell in love with that. And that's what I've been pretty much focused on for my entire career. Do you think that maybe there's a bias, yeah, towards towards working on features or something larger because people think that's, you know, who gets the credit or if you tell the story of a startup, you know, that's where they they sort of focus, you know, maybe for the mainstream press, whereas you're saying you felt like this was underexplored, but obviously essential to what people were doing and someplace that you got to have a lot of intellectual stimulation. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix of that. So that's the people who, you know, kind of get the credit at the end of the day when we ship something, you know, if there's a cool feature and customers love it, who are we going to attribute that to? The developers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in testing just wasn't fun, right? People wanted to develop their feature. They got it working. They see it with their eyes. They're ready to move on to the next thing. And I think that academia does a great disservice to the testing part of feature development, right? Mm-hmm. It's not even necessarily a separate job or role, it should be something we're taught when we're learning how to build things. How do you test them and how do you create like, you know, regression tests so that you know that your stuff always works. And I feel like human nature is we kind of, you know, look down on things that we don't really understand very well. And I think there's a lot of that in software development and testing. It's kind of like that phrase where if it's working, then nobody notices you and, and they're bad at you when all of a sudden it, does, it stops <laughs> right, working. Right. And so uh, tell us a little bit about the company you're working at now. What, what are the tools and services they're creating, I think, within this ecosystem that you decided to focus on? Yeah. Okay. So this was like a career change for me as well, a little bit. Mm. So I was working at Twitter um, before this company, you know, as a software engineer. And I had gotten into like speaking and, you know, writing blog posts, basically producing content. And it kind of took a life of its own to the point where I was probably on the road, I would say about maybe like 80% of the time. I know, Cassidy, even though this wasn't my job. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, in addition to your full-time job? (laughs) In addition to my full-time job. And, you know, the Twitter folks were very accommodating. You know, it could have been like, come on now, sit down. But, um, (laughs) you know, they were very accommodating. But, you know, of course, I need to get my my Twitter work done, too. So it got to the point I was finding myself, you know, about to burn out. I would be in, let's say I'm in Europe and I'm teaching this eight hour workshop, which zaps every ounce of energy you have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I would have to, you know, go back to my hotel room and put in like eight hours of my full-time job work through the night. Right. So it was wearing me out. And I said, okay, I need to figure out how to get paid for this content creation stuff. Cause you know, I really like that. And I feel like I'm making more of an impact. You know, it was like outside of the four walls of an individual company, you know, and I, I had no idea about developer relations 
And actually, I went to dinner with the co-founder of Applitudes, which is the company that I work at now. I had, you know, known him from the conference circuit or whatever. And, you know, when you're in the Bay Area, that's what you do. So you go out to yeah. dinner with powerful folks and stuff <laughs> and, and see, you know, what, <laughs> what, you know, what networking opportunities right, right. you can take advantage of. So he was telling me about developer relations as a, a, a career. And he was saying, you know, I think we may need something like that if you're interested. So I'm like, wow, interesting. Yeah, that sounds exactly like what I need. And, you know, I did a little bit of more research. I uh, reached out to Kelsey Hightower, who is like famous developer <laughs> advocate. He had a call with me and he basically kind of gassed me up. I was like, yeah, you're ready for it. You're already doing it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, that's how I got at this job. So Apple Tools, it was perfect because they specialize in test automation. In fact, they have a tool or an API that does visual testing. And it uses machine learning to essentially make sure that our applications are pixel perfect and they look like what we want them to look mm. like, right? So this was fascinating for me. I get to do developer relations. I get to focus on test automation, which I'm very passionate about. And I get to work on, you know, cutting edge technology like, you know, machine learning. Right. So, yeah, this was probably having a blast. I've been here like, I think, three years at this point, which is a lifetime in, it <laughs> in is. software. So that tells you how much fun I'm having. And so what what does that mean by the visual side of it? You're saying like you can run a test that ensures that the way it appears is what you want, or you mean the testing is done in a way that's easy for you to comprehend visually? Mm -mm, mm -mm. It mimics the human eye and brain to look at your application and determine if it's correct gotcha, or not, gotcha. right? Based on, based on what you've specified before, right? So most of the testing automation tools in the market, they interact with the DOM mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, run your front-end test and also verify stuff. So let's say, for example, you just wanted to verify that some button was there on the page, right? So typical test automation tools, you will say, is this button there? And it would look in the DOM and it would say, yeah, I see that button. You say, great, ship it. (laughs) But uh, what if that button was like hidden by some other element, right? Or what if it was like bleeding off the edge of the page? Or what if it was the same color as the background and your users didn't know it was there? What if it was disabled? Like there's so many things that could be wrong with that button. So what Applitudes does is it looks at the surface of your application as opposed to the DOM and says, yes, the button is there and it looks just like you want it to look. It's so valuable because there have been times where, for example, I've I've seen companies where they ship some new build and technically you can reach the login button, but like someone like me would have to inspect element and remove some things so I could Mm -hmm. hit the login Mm. button. And they say, all of our tests pass. It says that the button is on the page. It it says that Mm -hmm. it says login, but people can't actually click on it unless they do it programmatically or mess with it. And so having these kinds of visual tests where it says this is where the button should be on the page and it looks the way it should look is so important. Visit linode.com slash Stack Overflow and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trust Radius. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable. Visit linode.com slash Stack Overflow and you'll get $100 in credit. 
All right, head on over there, let them know the podcast sent you and support the show. So let me put this to both of you, because I know Cassidy had mentioned this actually missing some of the tour circuit. What is it that's so, I don't want to say addictive, but what is it that's so great about going out there and doing <laughs> DevRel, about giving you know conference talks, about doing teaching? Because it feels to me like a lot of the software developers I know who are you know thinking about where their career should go are getting engaged with this, just just tentatively trying it out and then kind of getting, you said, like sucked into traveling more often than they're staying and, and almost like going on tour. What is it that's so exciting about that particular piece of the of the job? So you know how, you know, we talk about the 10X engineer, right? And everybody's like, oh, that's a miss. Well, this is as close to the 10X engineer as mm-hmm. you're going to get because <laughs> you're literally teaching and uplifting the entire engineering community, like it's not just yourself at all. It's a very selfless kind of job. It's not yourself. It's not even the developers that are on your team. No, it's like engineers in this continent and right. that continent and worldwide, like you can see the impact and influence that you're making on, you know, the entire industry, on making products better, on making people's careers better, making them stronger. So it's very much so for those who enjoy that type of thing of helping other people become better, right? And helping the the craft as a whole, you know? There's only so many, like, lunch and learn sessions I can do internally that's going to make the type of impact that I I'm able to make doing like a developer advocate role. Well, and just being able to meet so many people is so exciting. Like Angie and I met Mm -hmm. at a conference and it was great. Mm -hmm. And, And I've been able to build such a great community of people who I see multiple times a year but never in my hometown or in theirs. It's because we're on this travel circuit. And it reminds me of this quote that I saw recently, or it it was an article about the telephone and like the history of the telephone. And the chairman of AT&T, it was way back in 1908, said that a telephone without a connection at the other end of the line is not a toy. It's not a scientific instrument. It's one of the most useless (laughs) things in the world. And (laughs) when a phone has a connection, suddenly it's useful, even if it's just one. And I think when it comes to community building and having a good tech community around you and, and a good network, you can't just do stuff on your own and you you can't just code for yourself and that's it. If you want to build a community around you and be involved in your community and have that kind of growth, you have to make those connections. And there's so many different ways of doing that now. Like it, you don't have to travel at conferences or schmooze at cocktail parties or give out business cards. <laughs> you You can do PR comments on open source. You can teach a workshop. You can have an, even an email signature that says that you're willing to meet mm-hmm. up with someone or you can moderate a community. There's there's so many options out there, but being actively involved in your community is so rewarding and beneficial to you and to others that it's very easy to be addicting because it, <laughs> it, like Angie said, you feel that impact and you get to see it firsthand. Yeah, I guess one of the things you said there, Angie, that really stood out to me was talking about that sort of myth of the 10x. And it's kind of like that that's, you know, something that you, you might work 10 times as hard as somebody or you might, you know, uh, write some code that's, that's 10 times as efficient. But, you know, there's no guarantee there that what you end up creating will catch on with people or that even if it's great, people are going to, you know, end up finding it because, you know, it's sort of like buried amidst all the other apps that they have to choose from. Whereas you go out and you make that connection with somebody 
you, you know, have that immediate feedback of building that relationship or helping that person. But also, like you said, then they begin working on your, your software, maybe, or your platform until there's that multiplier effect of like increasing the chances that somebody will create something great with your tools, which is really neat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess uh, we have just a few minutes left and I wanted to ask, uh, it says on your bio that you are a prolific inventor. I want to just touch on that a little bit. What have you invented and what's the process like of coming up with an idea, deciding like, I want to get this patented and uh, going through with that? <laughs> Ben is like, yeah, I got 30 seconds left. No, I'm not going to shut you down. I'm not going to shut you down. A few minutes, I said. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I was given the title Master Inventor when working at IBM. Wow. IBM is very much so into like innovation and has been like the leader in um, producer of software patents like year over year. So it's very much Mm. so part of the culture while I was there. And not that, you know, everybody was doing it, but it was the tools were readily available if you were interested in that sort of thing. And so I have 26 issued patents in multiple countries. And, you know, it's kind of like my claim to fame, you know. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's essentially like, you know, coming up with some new novel concept and, you know, detailing the blueprint of how one would go about Mm. developing that. So it's kind of like I get to do, you know, an engineering job without having to pull out my keyboard and actually like (laughs) build the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So one example, I I like to do this with my like two truths and a lie thing. I say, I invented time travel. And of course everybody's (laughs) like, Oh, that's the lie or whatever, you know, I'm like, no, I really did invent time travel, but it's time travel in a virtual world. So that's, that's one of mine is back when like Second Life had just come on the scene. So this gives me like an excuse to go play with like new tech and stuff like that. And really the key here, I have a whole talk on this on my on my YouTube if anybody's like really interested. But the whole key is to be aware of problems as they present themselves and be annoyed by them, right? Mm -hmm. So the problem was, oh, darn, they had a a conference in Second Life on this topic that I love, let's just say macaroni and cheese. Um, You know, there's a conference on how to make the best mac and cheese and I missed it. So, you know, you start thinking like, okay, I'm annoyed. How could I solve this? And so it was like, well, I'm in a virtual world. So why do I have the limitations of the physical world here? Why can't I travel back in time and immerse my avatar into like the recording of that conference, right? So that I feel like I'm there in present day. So you think about like, how do you, how would you do that technologically? How would you do that? And I had to like outline what you need. So you, you know, you're saying like, I need a database with this stuff in it. Like you pull out all your tools you need. You describe how someone would go about building that. You have a fancy intellectual property lawyer take your two-page doc and turn it into, you know, a 25-page doc with, you know, (laughs) diagrams and things like that. And you submit it to the patent office. You wait about, you know, two to 10 years (laughs) to see if they think that this is a, a new idea or not. And if they do, they issue you the patent and now you own the rights to that. 
and you can license it to right. other companies to use. So that's one myth. Sometimes I get beat up. I don't even talk about my patents so much on Twitter because <laughs> uh, people are like, oh, what about right. open source and stuff? You know, <laughs> which I love open source. My sister Angie loves, doesn't like open source. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's not that it's closed. It's that right. it's a business model, right? Mm -hmm. So now you license the rights for other companies to implement that and you make a little money with that. Well, and the, the protection that comes with patenting and copywriting stuff for your ideas is so huge uh, that we have, I think, one of the strongest offices in the world for that. And so as a business, and if you want to be an entrepreneur for those kinds of things, it's essential to know about. And it's it's cool to get to talk to people who actually do know about this process because it's very intimidating if you're just like, how would I do this? Well, this is very cool. We're all going to be living in the metaverse soon. So I need to hang out with you. You have the power of time travel. You're a powerful yeah. person to know in the yeah. metaverse. Yeah. yeah. I'm very happy that you brought up the mac and cheese too as the example, because I know you're yeah. famous for your mac and cheese. Patented or just famous? Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Just famous. Just famous. <laughs> so far. Yeah. I can't patent it because I don't want to write down the recipe, Ben. Oh. That's the issue. Right, right. Yeah, people would be stealing it left You know? Right. <laughs> well, very cool. Angie, I want to say thanks so much for coming on the show. So as I do at the end of every show, I will shout out the winner of a uh, Lifeboat badge. Somebody who came onto Stack Overflow, found a question with a score of negative three or less, gave it an answer and got up to a score of three or more. What is the difference between jar signer and APK signer? Thank you to Alex Klubin, awarded four hours ago, a nice lifeboat badge, and we'll put it in the show notes. Yay, Alex. Yeah. Yay, Alex. <laughs> I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you like the show, leave a rating and a review. It really helps. Cassidy, who are you? I'm Cassidy. I am Director of Developer Experience at Netlify, and you can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, -S -S -O, on most things. Angie, who are you? Where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more about you or check out some of your talks and your work? Yeah, Angie Jones, Senior Director of Developer Relations at Applitudes. You can find me on my blog where I talk about testing stuff. So if you're one of those devs who, you know, you want to secretly learn some more, come to AngieJones.Tech. <laughs> also, I run Test Automation University courses. All the courses there are on all things testing, and they're absolutely free. So definitely check that out, TestAutomationUniversity.com. And you can find me on Twitter at TechGirl. One nine zero eight. All right. Thanks so much for coming on and everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.